You are listening to God the MBA Marketing Beyond Ambition Podcast, Episode 025. Welcome to the Godly MBA Marketing Beyond Ambition. This is the only podcast that will share and teach actionable and biblical marketing strategies to empower you, the value-based business owners and Christian entrepreneurs. Learn to communicate your message effectively in this noisy world so you can finally earn more, serve more, and give more. More. Now, here is your host, Kelly Botter. Hello, Kelly Botter here. Welcome to Godly MBA Podcast. Do you have desire to become a speaker or even just to communicate more effectively as business owner or entrepreneur? If yes, you are in for a treat today. Our guest is Peter Billingham the public speaking coach for entrepreneurs. He helps entrepreneurs become better speakers by writing speeches for them and coaching them how to deliver the material online and offline. Many business leaders, entrepreneurs, you know, we are very passionate and knowledgeable about our subject matter but sometimes we don't necessarily have the communication skills allow us to clearly articulate, engage, and call an audience to action. I met Peter in person twice as he was the MC for New Media Europe Conference, and he did such a fantastic job. As we check further, I figure he has massive experience in this area with a very interesting journey as well. In today's interview, you will find us in a more laid-back conversation, but we covered some important topics such as the common mistakes of new speakers and how to avoid them how I practiced my stage time for John C. Maxwell event and got standing ovation in a 700-plus crowd. Also, Peter shared his secret sticky technique as event MC and professional speaker to be memorable in audience mind. Now, let's check with Peter. Peter, it's so happy that you are here with us. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of your podcast. I'm really interested in what you're doing, and I really hope that today I can help bring something to your listeners in a way that maybe they haven't heard before. I am so blessed. Uh, in last two years, when I attended New Media Euro event, and you know, Peter is the probably the best MC I ever experienced. You know, he, well, that's he, very kind of you to say. Thank you very much. He has a way made you laugh, and then he has a way made you think, and then he has a way to somehow gently kick you from the real end. Well, I hope it is a gentle kick, but I do hope that it's just more than, um, you know, just introducing a guest. There's a lot more to it than that. And I do try to make my MC work a little bit different and a little bit special. So it's really encouraging to have that feedback. Thank you, Kelly. You're welcome. Peter, maybe you can share with us a little bit about your journey 
And uh, how did you become this the alpha speaker and mentor, <laughs> the mentor for entrepreneurs to become a better speaker? It would be my pleasure to do that because life is a journey, isn't it? You know, I, I never thought when I was at school, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a public speaker. That was not really what was on my list. It was always you want to be a fireman or you want to be a pilot or you want to be this or that. And our lives actually don't often go in the way that we think they're going to go. And I think probably it's good sometimes we don't know exactly what the journey is going to be before we set out on it. But I have had um, a very blessed life. I'm very grateful for my life in that I've had many, many different opportunities over the years uh, to work in different environments, different companies, um, different different places. But I think the one thing that's been common in all of them is working with people. I love working with people. I'm not very good with stuff. I couldn't sit at a desk all day and work on a computer. I need to be working with people and I need to be around people. And that's been probably a common denominator. So I started in the insurance industry. I Well, that's actually not quite true. I actually started as a butcher. That was my very first job. I left school and I did an apprenticeship and I became a master butcher. That was my very first job. And I became a, a the manager of a butcher's shop. And I love being a butcher. The only thing is you had nice food to eat, but it didn't exactly pay a lot of money. And I just got married and I decided that I needed to try to earn a bit more money. So I started selling insurance part time after uh, on evenings after work. And I did quite well with that. And after a, about a year or so, I decided, well, if I can do this well, just weekends, I think I ought to do this permanently. So I have what my wife calls a risk cycle. And about every seven years, seven or eight years, I have to reinvent myself. Sometimes it's a bit more than that. Sometimes it's a bit less. But I have to do something completely different. And so that was my first jump. And I left what everybody thought was quite a secure job. And I became a commission-only insurance salesman. And I went to work for Sun Alliance, one of the largest insurance companies in England. And over the years, I actually worked for them for 13 years, I became the regional manager for the Midlands region and was the youngest senior branch manager that the company had ever had. I got involved in leadership and got involved in management. And uh, I ended up managing the third largest operation for Sun Alliance in the UK. And I loved all that. It was really wonderful. And then one day I decided, you know, I want to do something else. So I'd never been to university. And I always wondered, you know, I got some qualifications in business now, but I hadn't got any qualifications, sort of like academic qualifications. So I thought, I wonder if I could do that. So married with two young children and I was 34. I went back to university, uh, Birmingham University, to sit in classrooms with 18-year-olds and I did a theology degree. Everybody thought that I was crazy because I'd got this so-called good job and I'd got position and I was earning a good salary and I actually loved what I was doing. But then it was just time for me to say, I want to go and do something else. So I did that. I had three years where I was a university student and it was a wonderful three years. They, they were just 
good years, obviously, of learning, but just exploring about me, really. And I, I did very well. I came out with a first-class honours degree. And then I thought, well, what am I going to do now? Well, then, through a, a chain of circumstances, my wife and I, uh, Noreen, we launched a new church. I became a pastor. I became an ordained minister. And we started a, a new church in the hometown where I live called Bromsgrove. And uh, we started a church called New Song Community Church. And I was pastor there for 10 years. And uh, again, after 10 years, that risk cycle started coming back round again. And it was like, well, what can I do now? And then I, I went to work for an international Christian organization, a, um, a charity. And my job was to set up a regional office in Kiev, Ukraine. And uh, it was an evangelistic organization and a missionary organization. And I got on a plane and I went to Kiev and I started from scratch, learned to speak Russian, built an organization with 50 employees where we worked on, uh, we launched an internet television channel. We launched an internet radio, internet radio channel, which both are very successful, both still going extremely well today with millions of views on the, the video content that's created. And some orphan projects started um, an orphan mentoring project where Christian parents were trained to uh, mentor a child in an orphanage and um, look after that child not adopt them, not foster them, but just befriend them. And uh, that grew tremendously. In no time at all, we've got over 600 children from all over Ukraine being mentored by Christian parents. And then it just exploded and it became what was called the Ukraine Without Orphans Alliance. That was like um, a sort of offshoot of that. And that was just a way of bringing together all different Christian organizations who are involved in working with orphans across the whole of the former Soviet Union. And that just grew. And this was really was a, a God thing. It wasn't just down to uh, the team that I recruited and what had happened is. And it's now become the Russia Without Orphans Alliance, the Africa Without Orphans Alliance, and even the World Without Orphans Alliance. And so those those were the years. And then after I, I used to commute almost every week, I used to get up on a Monday morning and I would fly to Ukraine and then I would fly back on a Thursday or a Friday. And after doing that for almost seven years, uh, that voice again came and he said, it's time to change, time to do something else. And so I decided that I wanted to work for myself. And that was how The Artful Speaker was born. All over those years, I've been a public speaker for all the organizations I've worked for. I've been a speechwriter. And I decided instead of now doing it for somebody else, I'm going to do it for me. And so that's how it came about that I became The Artful Speaker. Wow, such a rich experiences, Peter. Totally. I wonder, and I'm very grateful for every one of them. I love what you say, the phrase, uh, things in your website, or you mentioned to me, you say, I help entrepreneurs become better speakers and speakers become better entrepreneurs. That's correct, yeah. Yeah. So can you share with us what do you mean by that? Yeah, of course. The Artful Speaker really is, um, I wear three different hats. And maybe as we get through this conversation, I might be able to explain about the three different hats that I wear. But the hat of the Artful Speaker 
Uh, I speech write. I actually write speeches for entrepreneurs because what I find is that a lot of entrepreneurs are very passionate about what they do and they're very excited about what they do. But unfortunately, a lot of them cannot put that into words and communicate it in a way that causes people to act or it it encourages people to uh, move forward with whatever the ideas they are. And uh, I just find that sometimes that I can help an entrepreneur put together the words that they really want to say, but put them together in such a way that it's entertaining, it's engaging, it's educational, and it actually calls people to action. Um, I find a lot of entrepreneurs, as soon as they get up on their feet, freeze. They, um, one in one situations or in sort of smaller groups, are very, very comfortable. But the minute you put them in front of an audience, they just can't comfortably speak. And, it, and really, it's, it's a skill. And quite often, people don't get the practice that's necessary until the main event. They don't go and stand in front of a mirror and they don't rehearse the speech time and time again. They just walk up onto the stage when it's the day to do their presentation and expect that they can confidently communicate and you just can't do it. So that's the one thing that I do. I write speeches for, well, not only entrepreneurs, business leaders, CEOs, and then I actually teach them how to communicate that. How do you put those words across? And that's a wonderful part of the work that I do. I really love doing that because I meet people from obviously all sorts of different businesses. And I was recently writing some speeches for a company that did sustainable packaging. Oh, I didn't know anything about sustainable packaging. What is sustainable packaging? So what you have to do is go and do loads of research and you and find that and then you learn about that and then put the words together. And so I do that. And as you said, the other half of that equation is I help entrepreneurs become better speakers. But the other thing that I'm doing, and this is a, a fairly new thing for me, is that I'm helping speakers build speaking businesses. I'm helping them become a bit more entrepreneurial because again I've met a lot of people who could be very good at speaking but they don't know how to turn that into a business they don't know how can I make some money I want to be a speaker I I, I love speaking but then well how are you going to make some money from that how are you going to turn that into a business and a lot of people don't know what to do so I'm coaching and uh, consulting with some people about how can you take that idea of wanting a speaking business and how can you turn it into something that's a viable proposition and and that's where my new business death goes digital which is one of the other hats that i wear comes in so that's what i do to help entrepreneurs become better speakers and for speakers to become better entrepreneurs that's wonderful peter so since we're on that topic can uh, you share with us what are some common mistakes for new speakers Some of the most common mistakes, let me tell you one of the, well, there's quite a few, but one of the big ones is lack of rehearsal, lack of rehearsal. I see some people who could really communicate well with an audience, but it is totally obvious that probably the time that they've got on the feet is the first time that they've spoken the speech out loud. So one of the first things I would say to anybody, I mean, to give you an idea, 
I think it takes an hour's worth of preparation for every minute you are going to stand on your feet and speak. And people just will not put the rehearsal in. I don't care how good you are at the information. If you don't practice, if you don't, you know, shut yourself away, put yourself in a room and, and over and over and over again. And I particularly coach my clients to say that you really need to know the first two or three minutes of your speech, your opening lines. I talk about overlearning them. In other words, what I say is that, you know, if you needed to rehearse it 10 times to know it, you need to rehearse it 20 or 30 or 40 times and overlearn it because as you step up on that stage and as you turn and look at the audience, your body is going to be flooded with adrenaline. And in that instance, what happens is your mind is going to go blank and we've probably seen that happen to people, and it's the most awful thing in the world. And then what happens is people will say, well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's really nice to be here today. I'm really looking forward. And you've lost people. They're already, oh, let me check Facebook. Let me check Twitter and see what's going on because, it's, you know, you haven't gained immediate attention with the audience. Now, if you know your opening really well, you can stride, you know, stride up onto that stage and you can deliver your first two or three minutes with passion and with excitement. And you've got the audience then. You've caught their attention. So that's one of the first things that I, I see people making a big mistake with. They don't capture his attention immediately. And you can do that perhaps with a quote. You can do that with maybe some kind of shocking statistic of some kind or there's different ways that you can do that just so that your first two or three sentences really capture the audience. And the last thing you need to do is sort of say, thank you very much for inviting me. It's like, oh, no, 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 blah, 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 blah. You don't want to do that. Another big mistake that people do is to try to say too much. They try to talk about too many subjects in a speech. It's better to have one key idea that you want to communicate and talk about that idea in lots of different ways. But ultimately, it's still just one idea that you're trying to communicate than to communicate too many things. I mean, you and I, you know, we've been in church a few times. I bet it's the same with you. You listen sometimes to somebody who speaks and you come out and you think that was good. What did they say? What what were they what were they talking about? It was good, but I can't remember anything that they were talking about. It seemed to be good as I was listening to it, but now what were they talking about? And that happens, you know, sadly in millions of presentations around the world. People hear a presentation, they walk away and they can't remember it. Well, that's because the speaker sometimes has been trying to communicate too much. And instead of trying to communicate one idea clearly, so that it stays with the person, they think they need to tell everybody everything in the only speech that they've got. And that's another mistake. So there's a couple of classic mistakes that people make. I'm glad you point that out. And I can testify that personally, uh, what you just say. I remember, well, that's about maybe two, three years ago, when I was given a chance, uh, three minutes to speak on John C. Maxwell's event. So we have a speaking mentor. And he, first of all, he asked us to submit our scripts, right? So it doesn't matter how I cut, I only 
manage to cut it to five minutes, right? And then we have to submit our videos so he can, you know, critique. And, you know, when I submit it and he say, Kelly, three minutes. <laughs> so, so it's so painful, but I cut it down to three minutes and exactly just what, what you meant. I was speaking too much in that five minutes that he want me to just stick with one center point. He said that, Kelly, you don't have to change people's life in that three minutes. So he came back and he, you know, he changed it. And I practiced for that three minutes stage time for four months. <laughs> Four months, and we are not talking about just weekly ones. I'm talking about every single day till my children and my husband, they were so sick, tired of my three minutes speech. And then they say, mom, do you really have to say again today? I say, yes, I have to. Yes. So, so um, they were so really really finally finished. But uh, that's exactly what it is. That I remember the moment when it was my turn, and before he hand me the microphone, you know, for me the worst time is when you are waiting. You know, you are about to go up, and then, but not yet. And when you went up, when he hand the microphone to you, and then he's still whispering. He gave me a hug. And then whispering three minutes <laughs> because it's a big event. I think we have about seven, eight hundred people. Okay. And he only picked a handful of us, but he want to demonstrate that at three minutes you can deliver such a powerful message. And it just testified each single point. Just say Peter, because I started with one sentence. I say. What if the only thing you know is to survive? And now you got all the 700 exactly pairs right. of eyes. Yeah. yeah. And I went blank about three seconds <laughs> with all the stage light <laughs> and with all the, you know, the, the energy suddenly focus on you. And I told myself, say, God, please don't let me forget about what I'm going to say. <laughs> so... That exactly is just what you just told us. You have to be one, you know, one key point, cannot say too much, and uh, practice, practice, and practice. practice. Can I make a suggestion, Kelly, to your listener? There's an organization called Toastmasters, and some people may know Toastmasters. It's a global organization, and it's designed to develop leaders and to help people with their ability to speak in public. And a Toastmasters evening is a great place to get practice at speaking. And for entrepreneurs or people in business or leaders who are looking to get more confidence in speaking, Toastmasters is the most beneficial organization that I know. Because there you've got people around you who can coach you and they can give you good feedback and evaluate your speaking skills but you get an opportunity to practice your speaking in a real environment but, but a safe environment and then when it comes time for you to do your 
big business presentation or to make a, a presentation to sell something. It's not the first time that you've got upon your feet for a long time. I was listening to your conversation with Cliff about going to the gym uh, three times a week and obviously he goes six times a week. But it's like your speaking muscles need to be built up and if the only time it's like you know if you said tomorrow i'm going to get up and go and do a triathlon uh you're probably not going to do it and it's the same with people if they get up on the stage they've got a speaking engagement and they've got and they've done no you know like i would say uh, time in the gym they've had no opportunity to sort of build those speaking muscles up and they expect them to perform as if like they're on the TED stage, it's just not going to happen. So Toastmasters is a fairly inexpensive way, wherever your listener is in the world, they will find a Toastmasters organization. And I'd really encourage your listener to go along, to join, to get committed and to start practicing with Toastmasters as a way to build speaking skills. Yeah, that's a fantastic idea because Actually, inside the John C. Maxwell team, we were also strongly encouraged to join the local Toastmaster club. And when I live in uh, USA, in Las Vegas, actually, I went to the local ones, and that really helped as well. So, Peter, the, what I love the quote you say all the time, and you make us repeat all the time <laughs> during the event of New Media Europe. Can you share with us about that? Yeah. Quote? Well, you know, that's a technique. It's not just it's not just a quote. Most people die with the song still within them. It's like, I'm trying to think of the exact words myself. Uh, sad are those that die with the song still in them. And uh, this year I used that particular quote, which was the Helen Keller quote, which was, life is a daring adventure or it is nothing at all. And the reason why I use those quotes doing the MC work and repeat them is, is one, it solidifies an audience. So if you're working with an audience, and especially if you're working as an MC and you're getting up and down and up and down and, and you want to try to have something. At Manchester, I helped, I was teasing everybody about the chocolate cookies. I don't know whether you remember that. There was the chocolate cookies. Well, that it, I mean, they were very nice cookies, but there's also a point behind that. And the point behind that is it just helps when you're working as an MC to have some kind of theme to come back. Repetition when you're speaking is a very, very powerful tool. And uh, I use that particular quote because I think it's a very inspirational quote. And, and the first day of new media was about inspiration. And by now, if I said to probably, you know, most of the people that are there, if I just started that phrase off, life is a daring adventure, and they would finish that quote off or nothing at all. Well, that just helps bring uh, an audience together. And it is a, a an intentional technique to work with people, but also it is a very powerful quote, which um, maybe we'll get a chance for a godly MBA moment to tell you about how that helped somebody at that conference this year. Yeah, sure. And I just figure now we learn one of your secrets. So you are not just make us repeat that course. Actually, it's a technique. Oh, yeah. Well, I would say is to use it in a speech. Quite often when I'm speaking, I will try to summarize the speech in a sentence that's memorable. I try and make a sentence sticky is what I call it. 
And I will use that sentence many, many times during the speech. And I'd use it because when people, after the event, like I was talking to you a minute ago, if people can just remember that one sentence that I've repeated a few times, then I've communicated very well. So my, my test is always, and I say to people who I'm you know, speaking with and I'm writing speeches for, is that when you walk out of this conference or this presentation, and if somebody came up to you and said, what was Kelly talking about at that event? If they can repeat that one sticky sentence, then you have communicated really well. If people leave and they say, oh, that was fantastic. What was she talking about? Um, well, something to do with entrepreneurship. You haven't communicated. So using, um, sometimes it's called a repeatable soundbite. And so like life is a daring adventure or nothing at all. If, if somebody wants to speak, they might use that as their opening line. And they may two or three times during the speech find a way. I mean, one of the other things that I do as a speaker is I speak at funerals. I, I have got a lot of work as a eulogy writer, which is a bit strange. You might think that's a really bit of a strange Well, that's uh, an important speech. Well, it is an important speech, and you only get one chance to make that exactly. speech. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, to, well, today is uh, Thursday. So on Monday, I'm doing a service for a lady, and my repeatable soundbite is this. Laughter is the sound of a soul dancing. Laughter is the sound of a soul dancing. And this lady who sadly has passed away, everybody knew her because she just was always laughing. And the other thing is she liked dancing. She All of her life she was a ballet dancer as a little girl and she loved dancing all her life. So I shall start the eulogy off with that phrase. Laughter is the sound of a soul dancing. And if you could look at Ethel's soul, then she would look like Ginger Rogers. And then a bit further on, I shall go, laughter is the sound of a soul dancing. Now, at the end of that service, if somebody says, you know, that was a really lovely service and she laughed at it, it was the sound of her soul dancing. That's a great way to create a memory. So during that eulogy, I might repeat that five or six times and I'll, I'll bookend it. It'll probably be the very first thing that I say and it'll probably be the very last thing that I say to make it memorable in that speech. So those are just a few little ways that you can make things memorable when you speak. But Kelly, life is a daring adventure or... Nothing at all. See, it works. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never forget that quote. No, I don't think so, Peter. And if you ever see it anywhere, the first thing that will come to mind Peter. is new media. Yeah, well, hope, <laughs> hopefully it'll, it'll be me, but it'll also be new media Europe. And everything that happened mm -hmm. will start to come back in because it's like a hook that you can hang that memory, memory on. That's such a great technique, but... It's because also it's come from the heart as well. Oh yes, ah, if you're not if if you're trying to manipulate an audience, that's wrong, mm. and that and people can sniff that out quicker than anything. If you're not authentic in what you're doing, if I didn't think that that if that didn't inspire me and it didn't 
fill me with passion and i was just using it as a, a manipulating technique it doesn't work people can sniff that out quicker they can tell it they might not be able to put the finger on what it is but you know immediately it just feel something oh, something just doesn't feel right here and the message doesn't resonate with what you're seeing and what you're feeling and that dissonance between the two makes people very uncomfortable and, and untrusting. So you can't manipulate it that way because if you do, it'll just backfire on you. Yeah. Before I forget, I write a note to remind myself. Actually, this is for you, Peter. By the way, for you guys listening out there, you know, Peter gonna create a little checklist for us to help us to make a speech memorable. But I want to also point out that. You know, Peter. You know, so many entrepreneurs, they may not uh, have a chance to stand on their feet physically, front of you know an audience. But so many of us, we do virtual events, we do live webinars, we do summit. You know, and I think what you are teaching here is so valuable for. That's for right. That as well, not just、uh, physically, you know, standing in front of the audience. So I just want to point that out. So for you out there listening this, if you hosting live webinars, or let's say you even do, you have a plan to do series of Facebook Live nowadays for your business, you really pay attention to what Peter is sharing here. So. Peter, can you share with us that any fun, memorable, or Embarrassed story in this well, yeah, journey. <laughs> my, my life is full of embarrassing stories. I mean, not too long ago at a funeral, I went and greeted a lady, a, a woman on the front row, and、uh, I hadn't met her. She was a sister of the one of the daughters of the lady that had passed away. And I went up to this woman and I said,、uh, "It's really lovely to meet you." I said, "Is this your father here that's with you?" Because I hadn't met the father, and she said, "No, it's my husband," and that was rather an embarrassing. <laughs> and then, then I had to turn round and go to the front and lead the funeral service. So that was a little bit of an embarrassing moment, really, when you sort of, you, you sort of like, oh no, you just want to die on the spot. But anyway, I'll tell you the funny story that happened when I went to New Media Europe. June this year, New Media Europe took place in London, and I headed on the train. I got on the train from where I live in Central England to head down to London, and I'd booked a train that was just a direct train to take me all the way down into London. But all of a sudden, halfway through the journey, the train stopped, and the conductor came along and said, "Look, I'm ever so sorry. Everybody's going to have to get off, and、uh, you're going to have to get on、uh, another train, and it will take you the rest of the way." So, okay, that's no really no big deal. So I got off the train and、uh, I waited on another platform, and I, I looked across, and there was the train that I was on heading away, and it suddenly dawned at me that my suitcase. And my suit that I was going to wear for the conference was heading back to the Midlands, and I was heading down to London. Okay, now that's rather that's going because I just got a pair of jeans on, I got a t-shirt because I was just travelling, and I'm thinking. Okay, this is going to be fun tomorrow morning. I'm going to stand up at New Media Europe, and I'm going to have to have the same clothes that I had on. So my suit, I, I got on Twitter actually. 
And this is the power of social media. And I tweeted the rail company and I said, can you help me? I'm at a conference in London tomorrow, but my suit is heading back to the Midlands and I'm going in the opposite direction. Can you help me? Well, almost straight away, a tweet came back and said, let's see what we can do. I will contact the train. So it couldn't couldn't contact the train, but my suit went back to the Midlands. It then came all the way back down to London on another train. And for some reason, I don't know why, it went back all the way again to the Midlands. And then finally, we was able to come all the way back down to London. And I was able to get my suit at something like about, I don't know, 10, 10, 11 o'clock at night. I'd done the rail journey once, but my suit had done the rail journey three times. And I ended up getting it in time for the next day. So that was the most recent crazy thing that happened. Well, that's not the most recent crazy thing. I do lots of crazy things, but that was oh. one of the most recent crazy things. Wow, we did not know that. And then we even have a gala dinner. That's event. right. Yeah, I was expecting that I was going to do that in my jeans and T-shirt. <laughs> That's funny. That's really funny. I, I just tell us that, you know, the reason why I ask, always ask this question to the experts and influencers, the, the guests who are on the show, is I really want to make a connection to the listeners, say, you know, we are just human. It, it doesn't matter how much or how high if you want to say you you already get there you already achieve we are just human that's exactly right <laughs> we are not immune to anything you know uh, negative things or or embarrassed things and uh, that's exactly right that's yeah. exactly right Kelly yeah. I think sometimes we're in awe of these people who we might see on a big stage or something like that and you're exactly right we're all normal people we all have the same worries we all have the same hassles in life you know sometimes it can seem that life can be so exciting if you're in the you know in the public's eye or something actually i'm sure it has a lot of negativity to it as well that you don't often get to uh, to hear about yeah yeah so peter last question so what is one of your godly mba moments meaning the okay. moment that you know your business is way beyond just a business okay i i I could tell you lots and lots of different times in my life where I've realized that what I'm doing is bigger than just the fact that I'm trying to run a business or just that I'm trying to push forward some ideas of, or make some money or whatever. And I, I could share lots of those with you, but I want to share something that's really relevant and up to date. And recently at the conference New Media Europe, uh, as you talked about, I used that quotation, life is a daring adventure or nothing at all. And we never know who is in the audience. We never know how powerful words can be. Because if, if you know, you, you, words have put people on the moon, words have changed society. And you just never know. And I used that quote a few times. Well, not long after the conference, I got an email from a woman called Georgie. And she wrote to me and she said, I first heard this quote from me at the conference. And she said, on that day, it gave her the final push to give up her job and go and work for herself. 
She'd been wanting to do it for ages, and she decided that after me repeating that quote time and time again, that it was the moment for her to say, you know, life is a daring adventure, and if I don't make this decision, I've been talking about it for a long time and I've been planning it for a long time, I need to make a decision. And she came away from that conference, and the first thing she did was put a notice in at work and launched a website and has started her own business. And so I think that that for me, I don't know whether you would call that a godly MBA moment, I don't know, but it's actually a moment that says somebody's life can change because of the words that we use. And that can be positive and negative. In this instance, it was a real positive situation. So that would be my most recent, I think, godly MBA moment. No, I think that's it, Peter. That's what we meant. You know, I think most rewarding for me and I think for almost all the guests I have on the show, it's that ripple effect, isn't it? And uh, we don't know, just like you said, we don't know when we put our thing out there, either in this case it's words or this podcast yeah. or, or book, anything, uh, or a blog post. And uh, as we answer that call that we sense we should be doing, I truly believe that there is people out there that God already prepared to be impaired on. So, Peter, thank you so much today for your precious time and wisdom. Well, and thank you very much for asking me. It's been a pleasure. And I look forward to seeing you again somewhere someday. I'm sure we'll meet at another conference somehow. But until we do then, it's lovely to chat with you. And I wish you all success with this podcast. I really do, Kelly. And so best wishes to you too. Thank you. I trust you have enjoyed this episode as much as I did. For today's show notes and Peter's checklist, please visit kellyballer.com forward slash 025. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We know you have given us your most valuable treasure, your time, and we don't take it lightly. We truly appreciate it. Please share, subscribe, and give us your honest reviews on iTunes so my team and I can continuously produce valuable content for you. All the goodies we mentioned during the show and my free gift to you is at kellybother.com. Remember, you matter. See you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Godly MBA podcast. For more actionable marketing tips and strategies and today's show notes, visit www.kellybotter.com.